want you to give a thought today about this message about being legally loved because the first principle of God's love is seeing others through the eyes of love. That's difficult for us to do, especially for us who live in Stockton. It is difficult sometimes for us to see people through the eyes of love. It reminds me of a true story of a six-year-old little boy. His face was pressed against a pet store window as his eyes were fixed on a black and white little puppy in the display window. He went in and talked to the owner and said, I want that puppy in the window. I have 75 cents. I want to buy that puppy. The pet store owner said, son, that puppy costs $75. You don't have enough money to buy that puppy. The boy's face fell. He was so disappointed. The mother dog came trotting from the back room into the display window with four little black and white puppies behind her. And there was one more puppy behind the other puppies, limping and dragging its back legs as it came into the room. The little boy saw that wounded puppy and he pointed at that puppy and he says, I want that puppy and only that puppy. I want that one. The pet store owner said, son, you don't want that puppy. That puppy cannot do what you want it to do. It was born without hip sockets. It'll never be able to run or jump. That puppy will never be able to do the fun things that little boys love. The little boy reached down. He pulled up both his pants legs as high as he possibly could. He showed the pet store owner the steel braces on both sides of his legs as a result of polio. He began to well up tears in his eyes and he says, I want that puppy. I want that puppy because that puppy understands me and I understand that puppy. I'll give you 75 cents now and 75 cents every week until I pay for him. And he put the money on the counter and he grabbed up that puppy and he walked outside as a special treasure that he had now owned because he saw that puppy through the eyes of love. Now I ask you today, what do you see through the eyes of love? The Bible says God is love. Most of the time when people think of that statement, they think that God is love, meaning he's endorsing everybody in every attitude, in every lifestyle, because he is certainly love. God is love. And he that have not God have not the love of God, because if they don't love, they know not God. Our lives, think about it like this, are shaped by those that love us and by those who refuse to love us. That's how our lives begin to be formed and they're shaped by those that love us and by those that refuse to love us. Think about that. The golden key to understand God in the Bible is really found in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. When God looked over the balconies of heaven and he saw you and I crippled, if you will, by the surgeons of sin, he saw us outside the covenants of God, outside the presence of God because by one man did sin enter into the world. That man was Adam and we were cast away from him because of Adam and his disobedience. The Bible says to the apostle Paul, we were without hope. We were without the covenant with the blessing of Abraham and he looked and he saw something he saw you he saw you he saw you he saw you he saw every one of you watching and he said I'll take that one I'll take that one 
I'll take that one who has no hope for tomorrow. I'll take that one who's been cast aside and rejected. I'll take that one who's went through a bitter divorce. I'll take that one who has lost their precious loved one in the silent city of the grave. I'll take that one who is sick in body. I'll take that one who is sick in their mind and been rejected. I'll take that one who is riddled with disease. I'll take that one with a broken heart. I'll take that one who is covered with shame and who's dependent upon things that are not honorable. I'll take that one who's been rejected. I'll take that one who believes their life is already over. I'll pay the price, the price of my son. I'll send him to the cross and through his precious blood, they'll redeem. There'll be a new life, a new beginning, a new hope, a new joy. I'll give them favor. I'll give them blessing. I'll give them honor. I'll show them that the blood covers all the sin that they've committed because I see them as a priceless treasure. You see, God looks and he sees us through the eyes of love. That's important to know when you're going to talk to God and understand who he is because God's looking at potential, not the past. In any situation or any circumstance that someone always wants to bring up your past, they're not representing God and they don't honor or like you because God doesn't consult our past to determine our God-given future. And anytime anybody tries to come and bring up your past, they're not honoring you and they're not honoring God. God doesn't look to the past to determine where a man or a woman goes. You have to realize that let, love's God, let the love of God define who you can become. Not your past mistakes, not your upbringing, not your culture, not ethnicity, not what you have or didn't have. Let God's love define you. When you're in a crisis, you need to lift up your head and rejoice because God sees you as a priceless treasure. He sees you as a priceless treasure. I'm looking at some of you right now with the eyes of love. That's what God's saying. I'm looking at you through the eyes of love. I'm looking at you through the eyes of forgiveness, through the eyes of hope, through the eyes of grace, through the eyes of affection, through the eyes. God sees you, in other words, as a priceless treasure. It's obvious when you say that, that many people don't understand that because the idea of a loving God accepting a life is hard for many men and women to understand or truly accept. But the obvious fact is about God's love. It could be known. The love of God can be known. Many people don't have that understanding because they think God's love is unknowable, but the love of God can be known. All of God's children do not know the love of God in the same extent. I say that because a lot of people don't know the God the way that you know God. They don't know the love of God to the same extent. You say, do you have a Bible verse for that? I got a Bible verse for everything, Jack. Trust me. The Bible says there are babes in Christ. That means immature people that come and have a knowledge of God, but they're like children. You ever get around children? You got to teach them. You got to feed them. In the family of God, there are babes in Christ. There are young men and women. That means they're growing in their knowledge. There are strong men and women, not talking about physical strength, talking about spiritual strength. There are spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. The fact is the love of God gets sweeter as the days go by. Most of the time when we get religious, when time goes by, the love of God gets meaner and meaner and meaner in your demeanor. How do we know that? Because when you get around religious people and they start saying stuff like they start sucking their teeth and saying, I've been serving God for 37 years. Really? 
You've been serving religious things maybe for 37 years. But friends, the love of God gets sweeter as the days go by. I'm telling you that from experience. And I'm telling you that because when you understand who he is and his acceptance of you and his love and his grace over you, it gets sweeter as the days go by. And let me just tell you how come. Because every battle that you go through, when God becomes more real and real to you, every heartache, every tear makes the love love of God become more precious to you than the day before. To know the love of God is heaven on earth. Do you remember when he found you? When he found you broken, battered, shattered, empty, scarred, an open wound, and the love of God began to bathe your soul? I remember when he found me. Many people think that I was raised in church, or I'm a pastor of generational pastors. I was not raised in church. I had no religious upbringing. I was 22 years old before I ever heard about the name of Jesus that wasn't in an explicit, uh, uh, you know, dishonoring way. And I was told about Jesus as a grown man. I'd been on my own since I was 11. I was cast aside by a drug addict dad. I was overlooked by a mother who wasn't able to take care of us. So I was put out on the streets as a 10, 11 year old little boy and lived on the streets until I was 22 years old. So I don't come from a background of this type of religious thing. That's why I said when people say they know God and they've served God for many years and their face looks like a reprint of the book of Lamentations, and their mentality becomes so sour and so not joy-filled. It makes me go, you don't know the God that I know. Because the God that I know, when I was down to nothing, I was a 22-year-old convicted felon in and out of youth authority, in and out of jail. My dad was a strung-out heroin addict. My mother was too sick to take care of her sons. And I was the baby. So I was put out on the streets. When I heard about Jesus and it wasn't in an expletive, when I heard about the Son of God who didn't come to take away fun, who came to take Take away pain. The only thing I could do was bow my knee and confess my sin. And when I did that, the love of God bathed this old heart of mine. He began to fill me with joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. He began to give me a new song, a new hope, a new joy. He began to fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. He began to fill me with his love, his grace, his wisdom, his anointing. I'm telling you, the love of God can do it again. Hope began to explode in my soul, and I, like many of you, became a new creature in Christ the Lord. I didn't become a remodel. I became a new model. We don't need any more remodels. We don't need a reboot of that same old sourful song. Remix. No, we don't need a remix. We need a new you. Come on. I say that because many people... If I was to really live out experience with you today, and that's what I'm doing by preaching, I'm living out shared experience, what I would tell you is there's different types of love that people operate in. The first type of love is the because type of love. It's the, or excuse me, it's the if kind of love. And what that is, is I love you if, if, I love you if you succeed. I love you if you meet my expectations. I will love you if you do this for me. Then I will love you. That's the if kind of love. How many of you know people that have that if kind of love? I love you if you stay on the straight and narrow. And if you meet my expectations. And then there's the other type of love. The because type of love. 
I love you because you're handsome. I love you because you're bald. Thank you. I love you because it's like the young single lady. I love you because you have a car. Yeah, you have a car. I love you because you got a car. Your car breaks down. He'd be hitting different. I don't know if I love him anymore. He's kind of ugly. Really, I thought you were, he was tall, tan, and terrific while he had his car. Now, he don't look that good anymore. I think he got a haircut or something. I don't know what happened to him. And that's because I love you because you have this. Or I love you because you're good to me. I love you because of this thing or that thing. I love you because you're beautiful. How many know beauty fades? I love you because you're handsome. Handsome never goes out of style. Hey! Beauty fades, but as you get older, man, we get handsomer and handsomer. Glory to God. That's what I tell myself anyway. So there's the if kind of love. There's the because kind of love. And then there's God's love in spite of kind of love. It's God's love. I love you in spite of your faults. I love you in spite of your failures. I love you in spite of your past. I love you in spite of your weakness. I love you in spite of what happens. I see you as a treasure. Now let's stop for a moment and think about how you as an individual have approached God. Have some of you approached God with the if type of love and you think God looks at you? If you do that, he'll love you more. And if you pray more, he'll love you. And if you come to church more, he'll love you. And if you read your Bible seven hours a day, he'll love you. And if you give in the offering, he'll love you. And he'll love you because now you're a good person. And you don't go to the club anymore. And because of that, he, he does. you only go once a month and not once a day. You because. Oh, I'm meddling. But some people that love God, they think of God in that manner when it comes to their life. Because they think God has some type of barometer that his acceptance of you is dependent upon what you do. So therefore, God will love you more and put more favor on you and blessings and anointing on you because you're doing that. And because you're doing that, he loves you more. And because you're not doing that, now he's angry at you. Some of you have an idea that God's sitting up in the heaven with a baseball bat ready to whack you in the head every time you're disobedient. That's not a glorified picture of our Savior. That is an understanding of religion that will get you sour as the days go by. So you'll start saying, I've known God 27 years. I went to Faith Tabernacle left over 27 years ago. And back then, we used to do it a little differently. Really? Back to the church I came from, we used to do it back then. They go back there. It was so good. Why don't you, why'd you leave? The point is, most people, if they were honest and took a self-reflection, they would say, you know what, Joey, I have approached God that way. I think God looks at me and because I do that, and if I do that, he loves me more and he accepts me more. But you not only need to see in spite of type of love with others, dear friends, I would tell you this, everybody look at me. The real issue is you have in spite of type of love when it comes to you. It's not about others because I think a lot of us, because you're wonderful people, you can live in in spite of type of love. That's why Oasis cares, the things that we do. I mean, we just give out so extravagantly in this community. The videos wouldn't do it justice every week. We'd, you would think, man, we've lost our minds. 
how much extravagance we give out. And the reason we do, I believe, because it's in spite of, you know what? In spite of the dramas of people, in spite of the homelessness, in spite of the things, we give out so much because I think most of us that go to this church and come here, even if it's your first time, I think we operate in that when it comes to others. I really do, or I think you wouldn't be here because God has ordained you to be here. But I think the major issue is you look at your relationship with God and you think of it because of. Because I'm gonna do this, God is gonna favor me. And if I do that, God's gonna favor me. And that's not how this thing works. Because God's love needs to be what I would call a divine flood. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 5, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Listen to this phrase, shed abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. Last Sunday, I talked about being filled with the Spirit is the greatest weapon against the enemy. It's not the binding, it's not the loosening, it's being filled with the right stuff. That's what the love of God is in Romans 5 and 5. It's the same word when it says shed abroad in our heart. It's the same word in Acts chapter 2 verse 17 that in the last days I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will have visions. It's the same Greek word. Why? Because God is trying to teach us something that you're not to live because of and you're not to live if you're to live in spite of and let the love of God fill you to overflow. That means you don't have the capacity to contain the love of God. When you get into overflow, you will live life not out of a reservoir, but what out of coming out of you extra. Most Christians live life out of a reservoir that's drying up. But when you begin to live out of an overflow, that means you understand that it's not because of, and it's not if I do this, it's in spite of. So you let the love of God bathe you. You let the love of God fill you. You let the Holy Spirit woo you. You listen to the still small voice and you trust that God will make the way where there seems to be no way. Can we put our hands together and thank God for his divine love? Because what he's really talking about is not having the capacity to receive. In other words, you become so filled, you don't have capacity anymore to receive something. When you don't have capacity to receive something, it spills out. How many of you would like to be so blessed financially, you say, don't give me more money, I can't spend it all. Some of you need a dream, you need to let loose your dreams. You ever, you ever thought about that? You got so much money, you're like, please, don't give me any more money. I just can't build enough orphanage. I've, just, I've done enough. Because you're overwhelmed with money. You know, that's what God wants to do when he's talking about you being filled with this love. He wants to overflow you so much that it's just coming out of your pores. It's coming out of every part of you because it's not out of a reservoir. It's not out of a little dab will do you or some type of emotional thing. Most of charismatic Christianity, they live out of an emotional well. That means they're always up one day and down the next, living their life as an emotional Christian and not a covenant Christian. They're living their life out of emotion and not devotion. When you live your life out of devotion, you let the love of God begin to fill your heart. That means you don't have the capacity to contain it. It floods the innermost parts of our heart. That's what he's talking about today. That's what he's describing. Not shallow emotions that's up one day and down the next because you've lived out of but and if I do that, I'm going to have that and I love you, this thing. And No, no, no. You're, you're in spite of. 
I am in a place of relationship in spite of my past, in spite of what I went through. He's talking about nothing less than passionate love, deep, overwhelming love. To be baptized in his love, it's the same baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be flooded with his love until it spills over. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you will never exhaust the love of God. I know some of you are trying right now. But you'll never exhaust the love of God. Some of you get that on the drive home. Was he picking on me? No, I was picking on your neighbor. But think about this. It says it fills us now. I'm reading out of Romans 5 and 5. That means it's ever present. How many of you remember when those rains began to come down? It was crazy rain. It was so much, I mean, streets flooded, orchards flooded, trees were toppled over. Because when a flood starts to hit a valley, it leaves water in the valley. How many of you know we had so much water, if our nincompoops that are running the state would have built reservoirs, there would have been so much water res reserved for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, but they let 97% of it, because of a spotted owl, they let 97% of it go back into the delta and the ocean. Why? Because they didn't understand what God has said in his word, that when something begins to flood, when water begins to flood a valley, it starts to become the source of life. It becomes the source. The water becomes a source because it remains in the valley. Where I live on the east side, that's where you get your tamales out of the igloo. It's true. Go by the east side. Uh, tamales and the igloo. You don't even know what they're made of. And tamales spelt wrong. Tapito? What is it? But when I drive home, I go by all these orchards. And even months later, those orchards, most of them are still filled with water. The water from all that flood had remained in the valley. Think about that. It becomes the source of life. Water changes a dry valley that was ugly, nothing to look good upon it, into a vitality of growth. As a matter of fact, when the water comes, trees begin to grow. Flowers begin to grow. The grass becomes deep and green. What was once ugly, once was nothing to look at, now becomes an oasis. An oasis where people fly all over the world who just come to see it. What made that happen, you say? Water. Water made it happen. Water is a representation of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Water made it happen. A dry valley is worthless, but when you bring water to it, it becomes a resort. You and I are worthless until the watering of the Holy Spirit comes to make us a resort. If you realize something about a resort, you've got to make plans to go to that resort. You've got to make reservations to go to that resort. You've got to pay to go to that resort because you know once you get there, it's carte la blanche, baby. Everything is going to be taken care of. They're going to take care of you. They're going to pamper you. They're going to bless you because what was once worthless and dry has now become a destination location. God is saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, what was once dry, once was once weary, once was once once ugly, let the water of the Holy Spirit and the love of God begin to fill you up, become a destination location. I'm reserving reservations, by the way. The point is the love of God floods our life. And when it does, potential starts to explode. Suddenly you start to see growth. And all of a sudden you begin to expand vision. 
And when you begin to expand vision, you start to see things that other people can't see. Suddenly starts, starts to have concepts of what God can do through you and in you. And because of your family, God begins to use you in a mighty way. One minute in the presence of God, everything changes. Everything changes. One second in the presence of God. God wants to show you something this day, right now, that will blow your ever-loving mind. When you release what's in your hand, God releases what's in his hand. And what's in his hand is greater than anything that will ever be in my hand. Now, as we close our time, God's love always drives us to our divine destiny. It drove a man by the name of Abraham to leave his family and leave Ur, his country, and look for a city whose builder and maker was God. God's love motivated three Hebrew children to defy Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the planet, and he began to defy them. And I love what they said because they said, even if God doesn't respond to us, we're not bowing to this pagan God. And even if I don't get my prayers answered the way I want them to get answered, I'm not going to live this way of I love you if you do that and I love you because you do that. These three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said we're not going to live if we do this and we're not going to live because in spite of. We're not bending, we're not bowing, and we're not going to burn. But even if we do, we're still not going to bow to that pagan. And you know the story, the fourth man in the fire showed up and they walked out that fire without the smell of smoke upon them. God's love drove a young 18-year-old Jewish girl by the name of Mary into a cave to give birth to the only begotten Son of God. And Mary did not say, why me? No, no, she said, quote, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Do you feel weary? Do you feel unloved today? Do you feel heartbroken? Do you feel like things haven't gone your way? Maybe it's because you've lived in the if factor. And maybe you've lived in the because factor. And you haven't lived in the in spite of factor. When it seems empty. And when it seems meaningless. And you've lost your joy. And you've lost your direction. And it seems like you have no hope. You don't need to win the lottery. You need the Lord of glory to take you by the hand. And lead you to your divine destiny. A destiny that's greater than anything you can imagine. God's never failing love will lift you up. And give you a new song. It'll give you a shout of joy. It'll give you things that are unbelievable. God's love is the answer. But I would say it like this. God's love is unexplainable, but it's also very misunderstood. It's explainable, but it's kind of misunderstood, right? It's true. God is love. And when we say that statement, many people have this idea that God is some doting grandfather sitting benignly in the heavens Winking and nodding at every godless thing humanity has ever done. Not hardly. That's not the love of God. As a matter of fact, I can prove that in his word. That's not the love of God at all. The God of the Bible sent the flood to Noah's generation. He knowingly opened up the fountains of the deep and he drowned everything on the planet. Why? He's a God of justice and justice and judgment. The point is... God sent Israel into captivity because they refused to keep the commandments of God. God put his son, his only son, on the cross to show you and I his disgust for sin. For sin made Christ pay the ultimate price. Not for himself, but for us. 
And the Bible says Jesus Christ became the scapegoat. A scapegoat is someone who takes the place of someone who has offended something. God, our high priest, put the sins of the world upon his son, Jesus. And the Bible says something that I still, after 25 years of studying his word daily and effectively and intensely, fully don't understand. Quote, it pleased the father as he bruised the son. End of quote. Pleased the Father as he bruised the Son. In the theater of your mind, see Christ hanging on the cross, beaten to a bloody pulp, wearing the crown of thorns, blood oozing from his hands, his feet, his brow, his entire body. And God says, it pleased me to bruise him because of our sin, because of my sin and yours. God is love. But look at what he thinks about sin. Look at the loving son hanging on the cross and know that that's God's zero tolerance for sin. Suffering, however, seems to deny the love of God. Isn't that true? Have you asked yourself, if I had a question and answer time, which we're not doing today, don't ask me any questions. Leave them for the complaint department that's down the street. But if we were having a Q&A and some questions, we would say, most of us would ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why are there earthquakes in diverse places like in Turkey and Syria? Why are these things happening? One of those reasons is poor choices. Another reason is what I call God's long range plan that we don't have the ability to see. We call it in theology omnipotence. What that means is we don't understand it. You'll never understand it with your head. You've got to trust it with your heart. When Christ was on the cross, wasn't it a bad day? It looked like a bad day. The man who walked on the water, who raised the dead, who heals the leper, now is a corpse. The Roman government says he's an insurrectionist. He's too dangerous to live. But three days later, he's the resurrection and the life. He conquers death. He conquers hell. He conquers the grave. It's the only place on the planet. I've been there many times where they line up by block, by block, by block to visit an empty tomb. They all look in an empty tomb. And the reason it's empty, because he has risen. He sits by the right hand of God the Father. The point of that statement is you have to have a Calvary before you can have a resurrection. You have to have a night before you can have a dawning of a new day. You have to have a battle before you can have a victory. You have to pay the price before you receive the prize. And you have to wear the cross before you can put on that glorious crown. Think about that. And sometimes I believe this is truly just out of experience. It's hard to recognize good days from bad ones sometimes. When Joseph went out to feed his 11 brothers because his daddy told him to, all 11 brothers, they hated him. They conspired against him and they threw him in a pit. I mean, you know, it's one thing for one of your brothers to hate you, but when all 11 hate you, it's a bad day. It's a bad moment. They sold him to the Midianites then the Midianites sold him as the price of a slave to Potiphar. Second time into slavery. Now he's in Potiphar's house. Sister Potiphar, she accused him of rape, something he didn't commit. And he was sent to the prison falsely. He had a lot of bad days back to back to back. But he was taken from the jailhouse to the penthouse in one day. And when God began to make that thing known to him, and the day came when his brothers did bow down because a hungry belly drove them into Egypt and they bowed before the brother they'd thrown in that pit. It dawned on him 
And I pray that this dawns on you today. This dawned on me some years ago, not too long ago, however, because I, like you, if you're not raised well, if you don't have mothers and fathers and you don't have a good upbringing, I dropped out of school in, the, in junior high. And then when I dropped out of school, I was running the streets. I was, I was, I was so hurt and abused. You know, I'm 48 years old. I am actually 48. I'm not 46 like Jennifer. But I was so full of pain and anger and rage. I would always think to myself, man, my childhood was robbed. My youth was robbed. Half of my adulthood was robbed. And it dawned on me as it dawned on Joseph. And my prayer as that this dawns on you who think like me. Why did these things happen? Why did I have to go through that? Why did I have to lose my husband? Why did I have to lose that relationship? Why did I have to be raised that way? Why did I have to go through that pain? Why did I have to go through that diagnosis? Why did I have to be living like that? It dawned on Joseph. My prayer in Jesus' name, it dawns on you. It came to him. You meant this thing for evil, but God meant it for good. When that dawned on me, why we build orphanages, why we feed every single day people, why we're starting new churches, why we're doing what we're doing, it's because I realized a while back, not too long ago, by the way, but I realized a while back what they meant for evil, what that dishonor did, what that jerk did, what that lady did, what that man did, what that parent did, what that person did, what they did, and they did, and they did, what they meant for evil, our Father who is in heaven, Holy be thy name. He meant it for good. Ha! Take that, devil. You want to throw me in a pit? I'll reach another soul. You want apathy to come in the house? I'll lie even harder. Take it. And I say that to you. But they meant for evil. God meant it for good. <laughs> of course they meant it for evil. Duh. Some of you are trying to think, find good in them. There might not be any good in them. Pray that they come to Jesus and change, but other than that, keep your distance. Well, I'm just going to love them and bring them back in my house. I wouldn't. A rebellious Jonah could come in the house of God, but a rebellious Jonah is not coming in the Stillman household. You come into the Stillman household, you come correct. You ain't coming correct, you ain't coming in. You come to the house of God all disconjointed and bobbled, we'll pray it out of you. But when we're talking about what people mean for evil and dishonor, you can't say, well, there's good and there may be. I'm not, I'm not judging them. God's the judge. But what I am telling you, they probably meant it for evil. Think about what I'm telling you. Let, it, let a revelation come to you. Yeah, they wanted to bury you. Yeah, they wanted to kill you. Yeah, they wanted to divorce you. Yeah, they meant to abuse you because they're evil. But God used it all for the good. God used it all for the good. They meant it for evil. Of course. I don't have this grand illusion that like, oh, they're all gay. Yeah, they just meant it for good. They're just misunderstood. No, they're evil. No, they're evil. They'd be called out on it. They're evil. Keep your distance with evil people. You always know because they spew dishonor. They spew dishonor about others. And it's a representation they're going to spew it about you. Because when they start spewing dishonors about others, put your name to it. 
and you could be assured as, as sure as I'm standing here and handsome. All you have to do is change the name of their dishonoring and put your name right in there because they're going to do it to you because that's who they are. So I say that as we close. Can we stand together? Man, that's a good message. I wish young Joey, not as good looking as older Joey, but I wish young Joey would have heard the message of older Joey because if young Joey heard the message of older Joey, I would have looked at things differently and not been so offended guarding things that I needed to not guard. I would have just said, hey, you're giving over to God, freak. Yeah, and I do mean freak. Yeah, you're a freak. I'm going to pray the freak out of you. Yeah. My point in that statement is you have to have discernment to understand not everything is meant for your good. God will take what was meant for evil and turn it for the good because that's the love of God that is in spite of what they meant and not because you've done that and not if you do that. It's in spite of. What a freeing thought today. What a freeing thought. Can we bow our heads in the presence of God? I got to stop or I'm going to get in mucho trouble. Because I have more statements that will offend some of you. It will offend some of you, especially you religious people. You're going to go, I can't believe it. Oh, I've never. And I say, I know it shows. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Struggle's proof that you haven't been conquered. <laughs> Struggle's proof you haven't been conquered. Are you struggling? It's proof you haven't been conquered. And everything is an expression of God's love when you start looking at it in spite of. Because it's going to drive us to our divine purpose, even though they mean it for evil. Even though they meant it to destroy you. God's love will use it to drive you to your divine purpose. Come on. <laughs> wow. Such tremendous truth. God ordained truth. <laughs> He's everlasting to everlasting. How can we be born yesterday and die tomorrow? Know the infinite wisdom of God who is from everlasting to everlasting. We don't know the difference between a good day and a bad day. Sometimes you think you're breaking up and God says, no, you're about to break through. You're about to break through to where I've got you. You think you're breaking up. God says, no, it's a breakthrough. You think you're going in reverse and that says, no, God, I'm shifting this thing for you. Our relationship. You know what? Open your eyes real quick. I'm sorry. I said close them. Now open them and check me out. Yo, check me out. Every relationship that you have is a current. And this current of this relationship you have, whether it's a spouse, family, uh, siblings, whoever, co-workers, church friends, whoever, it's a current. And if you look at it like a current, every relationship is a current that will drive you toward your destiny or it will drive you away from your destiny. How many of you can testify that you've went down the wrong stream and you've went down and went to the wrong current? 
because every relationship that we have is a current and it drives us toward our destiny or away from our destiny. So we have to realize some of it's meant for evil. So it's gonna take me away. I'm gonna transition and go to the different current. Any dead fish can float downstream, but it takes one with backbone and courage to go against the flow. current relationships are like a current and if I and I don't have time in this but when I first got saved I had family members currents I had to walk away from not because I didn't love my family not because I didn't honor them I honored them by leaving because it was a current that was driving me away from what God was wanting to do in me I had to read and devour that word six hours a day. I had to pray and fast. I had to get these things out of my life. I had to do things that other people are not called to do because God was taking me somewhere that I've never been before and he was elevating something within me before it can ever be out of me. And so I had to realize this is a current. It's driving me in the wrong direction. I have to let those things go. And I say that, now you can bow your heads. I think you got it. How many of you can say, well, pastor, the love of God it's not in the areas of my life that I'm needing it to be in. It's not in my relationships. It's not in my marriage. It's not in areas of my family. But I want that in my life today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up if that's you? It's dark in here. Nobody's going to look at you. Their eyes are closed. Is that you? Slip your hand up. Yeah, I see your hands. I could actually see you. I see it. Yeah, you could put your hands down. A lot of people have raised their hands. How many of you... You've never experienced the love of God because you've let the if kind of love and the because kind of love draw you into a place of religion and not a place of a relationship with the in spite of type of love. That's the love of God that I've talked about today. Not if and not because. It's in spite of who you are, in spite of what you've done, in spite of your faults and failures. It's in spite of those things that God's calling you his very own and wants to give you a new life and a new beginning. Thank you for listening to the Oasis Church Podcast. You can find our podcasts wherever podcasts are available. For more information, go to experienceoasis.org. Thanks again for listening.